Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We appreciate you being here today. We are starting in a new sermon series today, Gospel Stories. And this is going to be a fun thing, guys. We are going to be stepping through this year and learning more and more about stories in Scripture and stories of who we are. And so our whole year's sermon schedule is based around the concept of Jesus, duh. I would really hope that would be what we teach on, but also on the concept of stories together, right? So the first one is on gospel stories. And these are going to be a mixing of stories about what Christ has done in the gospels and mixing in our stories, how the gospels affected our lives, okay? Following that, we'll be actually doing uh, Sunday school stories and not-so-Sunday school stories. We're going to be walking through some fun ones of those following Easter. That'll be good. And at the end of the year, we're going to be walking through Jesus' story. So we're going to be walking through a gospel itself together, straight through. And then we'll step into Advent, which is, again, all about him. What do you know? For some reason, the church just likes to teach about Jesus. I don't know where that comes from, but hey, it just seems like an important thing to do, right? Today, we're doing gospel stories, and we're starting with the beginning, right? By this, I mean the beginning of the gospel, the whole of it. We're going to talk about uh, basically everything. In existence forever, you're welcome. Uh, buckle up, guys. Might be, I'm joking, it won't be that long. Is want to know what I heard about? This is completely random. My favorite story so far of a preacher ever. There's a preacher I like named David Platt. He's pretty cool. He leads a really big church, uh, but he also does these things that are called like, they're called like um, secret gospel nights. So it's whenever he asks his mega church, act as if they're a, a church that is uh, living in a place where the gospel is not legal. And so they don't have big sound systems. They don't have things up on the screens. They don't have anything, really. They just sit down, and they read the gospel and talk about it, right? But he also sometimes teaches at conferences. And at this one conference, it was a missions conference in New Mexico like three weeks ago. He uh, went ahead and did a 50-point sermon on the book of Revelation. Yeah? I will not be doing that to you. It's not going to be that comprehensive. It should be pretty good, though. It may not be. We'll see what happens. The beginning, Mark 1.1. We're going to start with a little bit of story time. You guys can hear a little bit of my story. Who here has before heard the way in which I became a follower of Jesus for the first time? Some of you have, right? Yeah? I'm going to walk you through this again, right? Because I was not always a Christian. I always had some exposure to the church, but I was never actually someone who thought that Jesus was someone that we should care about. Uh, I didn't think God was something worth considering or thinking about, and I kind of was just myself. I was a little jerk, right? Which is basically my personality today, but imagine me now, but without Jesus, right? And that would give you a clue as to just how jerky I could possibly be, because I'm pretty jerky now at times anyway. I'm still working on not doing it, but it occurs, right? I was a mean, younger kid. I did not have very much ability to protect myself physically at the time, because I wasn't really strong or anything, so I protected myself with my words. Uh, I had the distinct ability to never make people cry with my hands, but I could make them cry with my words. I would see who people were. I had a pretty discerning personality. I could find out what people liked and cared about and what they actually thought about themselves. And I knew how to stick a knife in and hurt people with them, right? This was my personality when I was 15, 16, 17. Whenever I was a young man who was still not quite a man, who was still trying to learn what life is like, I would just defend myself by breaking people's spirits. And I was mean. Uh, a lot of this was defensive. I really didn't feel like I was likable. I didn't feel like people would have any reason to actually care about me. It was never something that I thought anyone would ever actually, I, I never expected anyone to ever even think I was worth anything, right? Uh, and then this one very young lady, uh, 
who I knew from school. Uh, she was very nice, and I would like to have dated her. I'd liked, I wished I would have, like, she, uh, back then I wanted to date her. I'm glad I didn't now, because I really like my wife. But I wanted to date her back at the time, right? Huh? Toss it in there. I truly prefer Christy, right? But at the time I wanted to date her, right? And she was very nice and sweet, and there was something different about her, and I had no idea what it was. I don't know why, but she just seemed like a very genuine and caring person. And she seemed to actually care about me as a human. And that, to me, was a very attractive thing, because no one else really did, right? I really uh, liked her. And she invited me to come to a thing at our school one time. I was following school. It was a club that was put on by a bunch of students. And it was called Solid Fog, which is interesting. It was an acronym because back in the late 90s, early 2000s, acronyms were all the rage. It was shining our light in darkness for our God is what they called it, right? And this group of students were a group of Christians who uh, were from multiple different churches, multiple different backgrounds, but who were followers of Jesus who wanted to be able to be uh, godly people amongst the peers in our high school, right? And they were. Everyone who went there, there was something different about them. Like, they were all just like, you know, not the coolest kids. That was fine. Uh, I wasn't either, so I had nothing to say about that. But for some reason, they all seemed like just worthwhile people to talk to and hang out with. And I didn't know why. And so whenever I was there for this first time, I was there hanging out because I wanted to be close to this young lady. And I was talking and listening. And then all of a sudden, they were like singing songs and what. I'm like, this is weird. I never just get along for sing-alongs in high school before. And as they're singing a song, I began to get this feeling like there was someone actually staring at me. And I hate that feeling, so I'm looking around trying to figure out who it is, right? You ever get that? Like, someone's looking at me, and it's annoying, right? And I couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And then uh, at a moment, I actually stopped and realized that it wasn't any person who was looking at me. I was actually sitting in the presence of God, whom I had been ignoring, and not just ignoring, but denying. And the way that I would make fun of people and hurt them with my words, one of my favorite targets of those were the little Christian kids. I liked to make them squirm because I liked, I liked reason a lot and I liked arguing a lot. If you can't tell, I'm really fond of arguing. Uh, and I would try to make them hurt for their silliness for believing in a God. And I got this feeling that he existed and was looking at me and I couldn't shake it. And it sort of shook me to my core. And I was trying to figure out what I would do with this. And my brain went to, oh, you know what? This is, this is going to change me forever. It's going to completely change everything about who I am. My life will always be different because of this. Nothing will ever be the same, right? You ever had nothing will ever be the same moment in your life? Yeah? Uh, sometimes those things are actually true and nothing will ever be the same. This was not one of those cases. I walked away, immediately forgot about it and ignored it, right? That's where we're going to start our sermon today is the beginning part of the story. I heard, I understood that God existed at this point. Nothing in my life changed. Everything was the same, right? We're going to step in to some of Christ's story. And we're going to look at just real quickly the very beginning of each of the Gospels. Each of the Gospels start in very unique ways. They are all uh, written by different men for different purposes. And they were all written to different audiences. And because of that, they all focus on different things. Like in Matthew, he literally starts with the, in, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And he literally goes, to, Jesus was, a, uh, what is it? Uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph. Like he just runs right through the entire thing, right? And he walks through 
multiple steps of Jesus' genealogy. And this is the first part of the book of Matthew. He's super important. He really cares about where Jesus came from. It's his first and most important thing, right? Luke is interesting because he's writing, and he's writing about this, and he says, uh, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, the guy who likely paid for him to write his gospel, and he says, O Theophilus, it is my wish to put together an orderly account of all that has occurred that you have heard about and believed. So his entire point is to write down an orderly account of what happened to Jesus, right, and what Jesus' life was like. That's Luke. John goes way back. He already goes like, all right, so we're going to start in the beginning, right? In the beginning, there was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, right? And he just walks through, bringing it up to the incarnation. But Mark's is intriguing to me. Mark is likely the first gospel that was written. Mark is the shortest gospel. Uh, Mark is the most action-packed and action-filled gospel. If you ever just get bored, read that gospel in the book of like, in like the ESV version probably is a good one to do it, and just count how many times the word immediately is used in the first three paragraphs, right? Because he says, Jesus did this, then immediately he went to this, then immediately he went into this, then immediately he went into this. He just does it over and over again, right? But do you know how Mark starts up his gospel? He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Whenever we hear the term the gospel itself, we think of one of two things. One is either one of these four books, right? A gospel, straight up, a book that was written to explain who Jesus is. But we also hear about the gospel in evangelical circles as this basic, like, sometimes this light story, these words that you have to know and understand, and if you have them correctly enough, then you get, like, a key into heaven, right? Right? This is what evangelicals tend to talk about the gospel like. And we tend to break it down into some very small parts. And we say that it is basically the uh, Jesus lived, died, rose again. And if you believe that and proclaim it, you have salvation, right? Um, We say that for good reason at times. Like, you know, Paul basically says that. Uh, That's where salvation comes from. But then we have to also wrestle with this and the fact that to Mark, the gospel didn't start with Jesus' death. To Mark, the gospel started with Jesus' life. And the gospel is a theme that runs throughout this gospel. Jesus talks about the good news fairly often in the book of Mark. He mentions it over and over again. And he mentions it right at the beginning of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, following the time whenever he is baptized and whenever he goes out into the wilderness and hangs out for a while, then he comes back in and starts his ministry. This is how it starts. It says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is proclaiming the gospel coming, and he's proclaiming the fact that the good news has arrived, and this is literally at the beginning of his ministry. Whenever, as we see throughout it, he kind of hides the fact he's supposed to die and rise again, right? If Jesus has not yet revealed to people that the gospel is his death and resurrection, how is he preaching the gospel at the beginning if that's all the gospel is? If the gospel is just Jesus' death and resurrection, what is Jesus saying? Because it makes no sense. But here's the deal. The gospel is far bigger than just Jesus' death and resurrection. Far bigger. The good news is far bigger than we could ever imagine. It spans everything, everything. Jesus' words that he taught 
the induction of his kingdom, the him stepping into this world, the story of what he was doing from before time began, the time before creation began all the way through whenever he was caring for the people of Israel and bringing them out of slavery, all the way whenever he is helping the people of Israel avoid uh, destruction and death in the books of Judges, and all the time whenever the people is rebelling against him in the works of the kings and the chronicles, and all the time whenever people are actually just being completely crazy and completely ignoring him, and he's sending out prophets to tell them to stop it, and they're not doing that. They just keep going, and he eventually allows them to be sent into captivity in Babylon. All of this is part of the gospel. Because all of that is leading up to one point, the fullness of time. In the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about this times, these times that are going to be happening, and the fact that whenever the fullness of these times occur, one will come who will actually bring uh, life to the world. And Jesus proclaims that he is the one who is doing that. He says, whenever the fullness of time has come, oh, where's it at, where's it at? Saying the time is fulfilled. In different books of Scripture, we also see the same thing stated. Uh, Paul at one point says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. So whenever the time was perfect and ripe and ready, Christ came. He didn't come randomly. He stepped into the world at a perfect time and a perfect place to do exactly what he wanted to do. He stepped in and affected the world heavily, right? And the gospel goes and carries on far beyond that because, as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That concept, that calling to recognize the coming of Christ's kingdom, the fact that it is eminent and here, and that call to repent, therefore, is also part of the gospel. It's part of that good news, right? Back to my story. Story time. So, I heard this story, I heard and got the fact that God existed, right? But I didn't change at all. There was no repentance in my heart. I did not become a different person. Uh, I didn't also fully understand. I had no idea what the kingdom of God was, what this eminence is like, right? So I went back to my old life and became even more of a jerk, directly following the time whenever I learned this at first. And then, whenever I did so, about eight months later, a gentleman who was on the wrestling team with me invited me out to another one. And I'm like, you know what, y'all are still pretty cool. You seem like you're nice people and genuine. And something happened. Might as well go back, right? So I went back to another gospel night at my school. And in this one, I actually pay attention to more of what was happening. And in this one, the guy who invited me, a really good guy, uh, he also was with a group of people putting on a skit. And in the skit, uh, they were all functioning like Jesus. Like, not all of them. One of them was functioning like Jesus. One person was like, acting as if he was Jesus. And there were people all around him wandering around with things just like weighing them down on their necks. Like they were, had chains around their necks with like things written across them, right? Like fear or adultery or murder or one, like things that are like rough sins, things that we would consider now are imperfections, things that we are not supposed to do, right? And they had these all around their necks, right? And Jesus would walk up to them one by one and take them off of them and put them on himself over and over again, right? And then once he was done with taking them all away, those people he took them off of went and crucified him. And he died. And then whenever he, uh, he didn't really die, this is a remember. John was still alive. Anywho. Uh, and then he, whenever he was demonstrating the resurrection, he stood back up, then reached up and grabbed the chains around his neck and just ripped them off and threw them on the ground, right? He destroyed all of them by his power. 
which is a pretty darn good outline of what the gospel is. Christ came, he took our afflictions upon himself, he accepted that which we deserved, which is broken relationship before God, the effects of the fallen world, including death, right? And he placed onto himself those things. He accepted the effects of the broken world onto himself, he accepted death onto himself. And then he rose again, he destroyed those broken things. He kills them by the power of his blood and by the power of his life. And he makes it possible for us to have new life. And in that resurrection, he gives us what only he can deserve, which was right standing before God. He came to save us. We ignored him at best and crucified him at worst. But he offered himself up for us freely. Right? Again, this is the crux of the gospel. And I heard it and I got it. I'm like, this is amazing. I never knew this is what the Bible was teaching. This is something I could learn forever from, and I will never change. Nothing will ever happen again. I will definitely change because of this. My life will be never the same. And guess what happened? My, my life didn't change. I walk away and immediately forgot it again, right? I immediately forgot it. I'm going to say a couple things real quick here. One thing, just a big takeaway from this is this. Sometimes we're afraid to talk to people about things like what Jesus has done in our lives because we're worried we're going to do it imperfectly, right? I don't have the best words or the perfect words to tell someone what the gospel means. And if I can't do it perfectly, I should probably hold off because I don't want to teach someone wrong, right? You guys ever felt that way? Well, I, now that I've got a degree in theology and I've been pastoring for a while and I've spent a lot of time studying the Bible, I can look back at the skit they did and the songs they sang and I can nitpick the crap out of them, right? Oh my goodness, Jesus took on their things before him before he got on the cross. That doesn't make any sense. Whatever, right? I can just nitpick away however much I want to, right? Uh, I can nitpick some of the songs they sang because now I have a much deeper uh, respect for uh, songs with good theology. And a lot of the songs they sang don't have that. I wouldn't sing them in this church. But here's the fun story. Even in their not perfect retelling of Christ's story, my goodness, I heard and understood the gospel. I wouldn't be standing here today if they hadn't given that imperfect telling. And countless other people's lives are the same way, right? You don't have to be perfect in the way you tell the gospel. It's good to be as accurate as you possibly can be. You don't want to purposefully say or do false things, right? But you don't have to worry if you are not perfect in your theology before talking to someone about it. Because if you're waiting for perfection, you're going to wait until Jesus returns. You won't have perfect theology until then. And Christ can use people to tell his story even in imperfect times, right? Good grief, in the Old Testament, he uses a donkey to tell a person to stop being an idiot. If he can, yeah, Balaam's donkey, look it up, you'll enjoy it. Trust me. I just saw that face right there. Boop. There was a prophet. He was supposed to go and preach to the people of Israel. And the, he's like, no, I don't want to tell them about it. And then as he's riding along in his donkey, he's like, I don't want to go bless the people of Israel, whatever. And then there's an angel who's standing in the path of him and the donkey with a sword out so that if he just keeps riding forward, that he'll impale himself on this angel's sword. And the donkey can see it, but he can't see it, obviously. And so donkey keeps, like, throwing him off the side of the road. And eventually he's just, like, beating his donkey. Like, why are you stupid donkey? Won't you keep going forward? And then God gives the donkey the ability to say, because you're going to die, you idiot and then points forward. Like, it's a weird story, right? I'll show you in the Bible. It's really interesting. Anywho, only time in the Bible besides, uh, the, besides the fall of man that a, a, an, uh, an animal talks, by the way. The only one's a serpent that I know of. 
Anywho, there we go. Fun story. Donkey, talk, Old Testament. Back into the gospel. All right. What? Shrek, donkey. All right. These people, in their not perfect rendition of the gospel, affected my life greatly and other people's lives greatly. Out of the year that I was there, there were about three classes of people who were going to this group with me. And out of those, there was like 30 or so people, right? Uh, And of them that I know of so far, roughly five are pastors and two are worship leaders at other churches. Like that is an amazing, uh, that's a pretty darn big percentage of people who have gone on to ministry. And most of us who were in that group were not Christians before then. These were not people who were raised in church all the time. That God used both that group and other people in our lives to bring us into where we are glorifying him with our lives now, right? You can't know how your being willing to tell someone the gospel will affect the future. I doubt that if I went back to him and said, hey, Rob, you know that skit you did back whenever you were like a sophomore in high school and you pretended to be Jesus? And he's like, yeah, oh, that was crazy. I'm like, yeah, like seven people are pastors now. Just kicking it out there, right? He had no idea that would happen. You don't know. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. Part of the reason why immediately following that I went back to being a jerk was because I heard this. Jesus did these things for you, therefore it's all good. Jesus did these things for you, therefore you are covered. Which, still believe that, honestly, I do. But that was where the gospel ended that day. And that is not where the gospel ends, right? Sometimes we make the gospel far too small especially in evangelical churches. Uh, There's a relatively simple term that people talk about whenever you believe in the gospel this way, and that term is fire insurance. Yeah, you believe the gospel enough that you won't go to hell. And that's it. If there's a hell that is nice and burny, I won't go there because I have right belief, right? That's basically what I thought the gospel was. And strangely enough, churches hold to this theology pretty heavily. Turn and burn churches are literally churches that teach the gospel in that respect, right? Churches that do things like try and scare people into salvation are doing the same thing, right? They're saying that the only goal of the gospel is to keep you from being in hell someday. And that is a very, very sad gospel, right? That's a sad gospel because the gospel is far, far, far bigger than just avoiding eternity without God. The gospel in and of itself is both an offering from God to you, allowing you to have a relationship with him. And he's offering a way for you to step into this kingdom that he is creating. It's an offering for him as a way to actually bring you new life, not in the future, but new life now. It requires a lot of recognition and submission on our part and sacrifice on our part. It requires us to be willing to say, you know what, I was wrong. My life was wrong. I have not been glorifying to God with my life. I need to turn and walk in the other direction. That is what this comes into. When Christ says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent 
and believe the gospel. Repentance is the act of recognizing that the way in which you were walking before was wrong and turning around and walking in the other direction. That's the Hebrew concept of repentance. It was a literal term that means turn around and walk the other way. Oh, I'm supposed to be going east. Repent. Okay, I'm going west now. That's repentance. Uh, Jewish language is very, very fun. Hebrew language was very fun. It was based off of people who had very grounded lifestyles. They were working on farms. They were, uh, it, was, it was a very practical language, and so it's a very practical thought. Greek is really kind of weird. It's more cerebral and whatnot. So the concept in Greek of repentance is actually a turning of the mind or breaking or renewing of your mind, right? Changing your mind to move in the right direction. Both of which are wonderful metaphors, right? It's easier to change your mind on which direction you should go if you turn around and walk the other way. Right? We were called to repent. I had no call to repentance in the gospel that I heard at first. I didn't hear it. They may have said it. I didn't hear it. Right? That portion of the gospel was not present for me. Until like two years later, whenever the same guy, Rob, who played Jesus in that play, invited me out to a concert that he was, that was happening at his church. Uh, fun story, I'm just going to toss it out here. Uh, the band was Nebraska, actually. It was a ska band. You can learn about more whenever I was in high school based off that statement. It was awesome. Nick Brewer was in it. Uh, yeah, all of you know him. Yeah. <coughs> uh, Joshua Brewer, the Oracle's owner, it's his brother, was in that band. Yeah. Uh, so Nick Brewer was in this band at the time, and he was there playing the show. I didn't know him for like six more years. But anywho. Uh, I went to this concert, and there met a pretty girl again, a different pretty girl, uh, who at the time I really wanted to date. Once again, very glad that I'm married to my wife, but at the time I really wanted to date her, right? Uh, and so, just like before, whenever I followed this first girl to this gospel presentation, I'm like, hello there, and Jesus is like, here's a girl, here's a girl, here's a girl. Nope, I'm talking to you, okay? He did it, he did it again at this church, right? Uh, there's this pretty girl, oh, this church here, I should step into this church here. Nope, you're not going to date her, but hey, you should be here, right? He used, uh, uh, it was a very carrot approach to get me to come closer to him, is what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> very little stick, a lot of carrot, okay? Uh, and so, whenever I ended up there, I met these two other gentlemen, one named Kirk Calber uh, and one named Shane Manet. Shane was the youth pastor at the church there. And Kirk was one of the guys who worked with the youth groups. Uh, strangely enough, Kirk ran small groups and Shane preached. And now whenever I do small group stuff, I teach them like Shane did. But whenever I preach, I preach like Kirk did. I don't know why. I got them backwards. But anywho, uh, these two guys were all both older. To my brain now, I realize they're probably about the age I am now, 30, 35. Back then, I felt like these dudes had to be like 60 and like just, oh, there's to have this wisdom and these ages and these concepts, and they're going to be able to actually pour into my life. Like to me, I'm like these old guys. Now I'm like, oh, they're probably younger than I am now. But anywho, they took me under their wing, sometimes quite literally. One of the things I used to do to try and be cool was to pretend to know martial arts. I didn't, but I wanted to, <laughs> right? And so uh, that person that I found uh, quite pretty I was trying to be all like, no, yeah, man, you can just like do this thing and block here and went on push, right? And then Shane walked over. He's like, oh, really? Can you show me that real quick? And I'm like, okay. And he's like, he literally, uh, he, I can tell you what he did because he taught me afterwards just for fun. But whenever I went like this, he blocked my arm away. 
and he stepped forward when he did so. And then he brought his arm back, caught me across the chest while kicking out uh, with my legs, and then he caught me before I hit the ground. See, I didn't know this, but Shane was actually nationally ranked for martial arts. <laughs> uh, if you guys know the guy who did Tai Bo, Billy Blanks, uh, he actually fought his brother in tournaments before. Like, dude actually won a tournament with a style of martial arts he had never done before just because he wanted to see if he could do it. Like, this guy was a fighter. And he was super nice to me by not just wiping the floor with me. Like, he's like, no, oh, I have made you look slightly ridiculous in front of everybody. Now are you willing to calm down and stop being a little crazy person? Yeah. And that made me, if you guys don't know how teenage guys are, that made me love him so much. Right? Just so much. Ugh. These guys took me under their wings. And one of the things that they did was they took me, this 17-year-old kid at the time, who had never dated someone really, who had no prospects of what maturity looked like, who had held jobs and whatnot, but, you know, like nothing real before. And they taught me what it means to be a godly man who leads my family. When I was 17, I was working through a book called Point Man, which is how a man leads his family with both of these guys. And they taught me theology, and they taught me uh, what my life should look more and more like because they showed me who Christ is and they showed me what his life was like, right? They taught me what repentance looks like. Now, next time I preach, I'll tell you whenever I actually finally got that. That's the next week's story. But here's what I learned. The gospel was far bigger than just believe and don't go to hell. The gospel affects everything. One more. The gospel affects every area of your life and every area of creation. If you don't know this, the final hope of the gospel is not just we won't be in hell. The final hope of the gospel is that we will be reperfected in the image of Christ. We will be true image bearers of God as we were created to be. We will be our perfect selves because he will recreate us and perfect us by his blood. And not just us, but the entire world. If you read the book of Revelation, the main thing that they're working through in that book is the fact that we can have hope in now because we know the circumstances are now, of now are not what we're going to live with forever. And Christ himself will return and will make the world perfect. He will undo completely the effects of the fall. He will remove sin and death completely. And he will make everything perfect again. Earth will be recreated. Heaven will be recreated. There will be a new heaven and new earth, perfectly set up as if the fall had never occurred. And we will get to revel in that forever and be present with God forever, just as present as Adam and Eve were present with God in the book of Genesis. This is what we look forward to. And in that time, while we're looking forward to this, we as the church get to participate in that recreative aspect of the world in how we live and how we act. We get to actually take part in allowing the world to be more just and allowing the world to be more cared for. We get to take part in seeing the world come together. We get to see in the way that humanity works how we can actually work against the effects of disease and death, right? We get to actually witness that as people, and then we get to wait for it to be perfected whenever he comes. Our hope is in him and what he's doing, but we can still be a part of it now. I get to take part in this redemptive process of God because of who he is and what he's done. It's a beautiful thing.
Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. My life is no longer mine. My life is his, to do with what he wills and not myself. That is next week's topic right there. But what's our takeaway with this? Story time again. Our takeaway is this. Yes, the gospel is bigger than we could ever imagine. Sometimes we make the gospel too small, and the gospel affects literally everything in our life. Some takeaways are this. If you say you know and understand the gospel, but your life looks exactly like it looked before you gained understanding of the gospel, then you may not yet have full understanding of the gospel. Because if you understand it, there will be ramifications in your life. Transformation will happen, right? Because God will enable it to happen. He'll do it. That's one takeaway. A second takeaway is this. We as the church have been entrusted with the gospel of God. We have been entrusted with this for his glory. And we have a responsibility to both steward it wisely and be willing to offer it whenever necessary, right? We don't have to offer it perfectly. We shouldn't shy from being able to tell people it, right? Now, I've been trying to rack my brain for a while about ways in which we can work on explaining the gospel to people better, in which ways each of us as a church can start participating and doing so more and more. And as I was worrying it, I was actually talking to another church in the area, Dustin, uh, Dustin White from Radial Church, and he, he turned me on to a resource that they have been using from a place called Exponential. And it's this concept of ways in which people can actually just build up good and godly relationships with people around them so they could be to other people what those people in that gospel presentation group were to me. People who for some reason are just different and worth actually paying attention to and talking to a little bit. And the first one of these things that they call for you to do is, is bless. Bless other people. So each day, pick out like two people in some way, shape, or form you're going to bless. It doesn't have to be, I'm giving you a bunch of money. We don't have money, right? But it could be, I'm going to call and see how you're doing. I'm going to actually show that I care. I'm going to write you a note. I'm going to spend some time uh, talking to you. Like, how can you purposefully bless people? And he, they say specifically to bless at least one person outside of your normal circle of friends. Because it's actually, what's the whole acronym? Uh, I'm never going to remember it, am I? Nope, it's gone. I'll bring it up next week, so you all better come back for it. No, no, yeah, yeah. Mm. Blade, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. He's just laughing at me. I deserve it. Uh, it's bless, eat. Uh, oh, I got nothing. I'll tell you later. I'm sorry. My brain is now just blanking. I'm fried. I know what's happening right now. But that's the basic concept, guys. This week, if you want to start being able to actually share the gospel with people, to be able to demonstrate this new life that has been given to you, one basic and very easy and simple way to start is to begin in some way, shape, or form blessing those around you. Be a blessing to people. Because you'd be surprised. For some reason, people like and actually uh, appreciate whenever you're not a jerk to them. It took me a while to learn that one. Don't let it take as long for you. <laughs> Those are our big takeaways today. The gospel changes everything. The gospel is bigger than you could ever imagine. Sometimes we make our gospel too small. You don't need to be perfect to proclaim the gospel. You don't have to have perfect understanding to proclaim it. 
And one of the easiest ways you can begin doing so is by blessing the people around you. Because that means they'll be more apt to, if they come to a point in their life where they do have questions that actually matter, that you might be one of the people they turn to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Next week, we get to talk about uh, a different portion of the story that Christ has taught, has been building in me. Um, we get to talk about another portion of his gospel. And that'll be, what does your life start to look like whenever this transformation starts to take place? And how does he do it? That's another part of the story. Let's take a minute today, though. We're going to pray. We're going to spend some time uh, in communion together. Jake will be presenting that in a second. And then we're going to, one more time, sing the chorus of the I Believe song that we sang at the beginning. Okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Father, I praise you for the way in which you have demonstrated your goodness to me in my life. Thank you for the story you've been writing for me. Lord, it is nothing that I have done. It is all things that you have done for me through other people. Lord, thank you for allowing me to know you. It is a blessing beyond measure. As I move forward this year, Lord, would you allow me to continue more and more to glorify you? May I boldly proclaim your gospel to a world that needs it. May I proclaim your goodness, your holiness, the sacrifice you've offered, and the way in which you offer new life. Lord, I want to see you glorified more and more. And I praise you, Lord, and I thank you for everything you are and everything you've done. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So um, this morning I was actually thinking and questions like, what am I going to talk on? So since like yesterday I've been like, what are, well, there's that, but yeah. But, you know, what, what concept of reflection? It was at the point where I was even just like, you know what? I'm just going to talk about communion and not say anything fancy at all. Just let it happen. And then as I was sitting back to listen to your sermon, I was like, crap, man. This is a good thing to talk on that happened this week. So uh, Zach, Dan, and I get together just about every Wednesday. And we spend time in fellowship eating this idea of being in communion together. And uh, Dan blesses my son probably more than anybody else. As you saw, him, this new Batman figurine running around. But um, one of the things that Chelsea and I do and that Dan and Zach and I did is that whenever there's a, um, the new year and stuff like that happens, instead of setting new goals, we reflect on the past and say, how did we uphold Christ? How do we see Christ growing in our lives? How do we grow each other? How did our relationship glorify God? Um, and I was thinking about how, like, I had grown throughout the, the year and stuff like that. And actually, last week, our furnace went out. So if you notice some space heaters missing here in the church, it's because Chris was nice enough. He's like, yeah, go and take a couple of them. Um, but if you recall, earlier in the year before that, our power went out and we didn't have heat. And so this is one of those opportunities in life that I didn't realize that then they got to give me another an opportunity to say, have you grown from what previously happened beforehand? So when our power went before, I was very angry, I was frustrated, I was mad, and then that perspective had to be changed. The idea of, like, you are cold in your home that you own, like, that you live in, while there's people that are outside that don't have shelter and you're the one that's upset. Like, I was blessed to be in that situation. And so this time, when the heat went out, it was one of those things that didn't even happen consciously. It was kind of like, okay, this is just where we are. What's God trying to show me here? And so while the, while the heat's out and stuff like that, I'm thankfully blessed enough to have a father-in-law that happens to run a heating and cooling company. So he's like, all right, we'll be out the next day. So they come out, and they're, you know, doing all the stuff. 
and these two women approached my door. And I was just like, oh, who's this? You know, like, furnace is out, two people are in my house, two new people now, like, something else must be going on. And they wanted to talk to me about the gospel. And so thankfully, since my father-in-law was there doing the heating and cooling, he picked up Isaac and took him downstairs and was teaching him how to do stuff on the furnace, pretty much just let him smack the old one with a hammer. And I get to talk to these two women. And so they're going through the gospel, and kind of like what Chris was saying, like, they weren't very informed in the sense of theology. I didn't tell them I was a pastor. and be like, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. Because at the end of the day, these two women were out doing something that I wasn't doing myself. They were going house to house asking people, how can I bless you? How can the church be of service to you? And all these other stuff. And so as we were talking and things like that, we started getting the different concepts or ideas. They are just like, what's your name? And so we started talking more, and this relationship began. And so now I'm having them over again uh, this coming week. They're just going to stop in for some coffee with me and Isaac. But one of the, what I mean by all this is that this is one of those opportunities that happened through chaos, that happened through something that was unexpected, happened through something that I could easily have complained about, but God had allowed me to grow through, whether it was conscious or subconscious, that this time when it happened, these two women approached. And even now talking about it, it's just like this idea of witnessing, this idea of women witnessing to Christ and how two women just, uh, you know, not that they were angels by any means, or they were Mary, but uh, that God presented an opportunity through this chaos. Um, that through something previously that I got frustrated about this time around, I thankfully was able to have the clarity to see a conversation instead of being so overrun, just be like, get away, stay away from me. But these are these opportunities that pop up in having a conversation about the gospel. It's not because uh, they knew that I was a pastor that they approached me. It wasn't because they were trying to save my soul that they approached me. They just had the care in their heart to say, how can we bless you and your family today? Our church is near you. That's all it came from. And so the same thing can happen at the Oracle, too. We don't need to have these deep conversations about, you know, our apologetic conversations. Not that it's wrong, not, not that it is wrong to be informed and have good apologetics, but that's not usually what brings people to Christ or even shows them Christ. I mean, for some of the gentlemen that I spend time with the Oracle, this is like year four now, and now their lives are starting to change. But that's through four years of walking and growing. Like, you have to prove your worth. You have to really prove that this Jesus that you talk on and that you preach on has weight in their lives. Because many of them have been damaged by the church, and many of us have been damaged by the church. You know, and because of that, there's got to be this time will tell. And if it took Christ three and a half years and they, his disciples still didn't get it, probably going to take some time. But to continue to bless those people, to continue to allow that chaos that's surrounding us, that seems like it's consuming us, to be an opportunity to bless. <clears throat> and oftentimes, it's not even you that's doing the blessings. Are you open enough to be blessed? There may be people trying to pour into your lives, but you're trying to do this us versus them. And you're trying to say, the world is all horrible. Everything sucks. I hate everything. And what you're doing is you're confiding yourself into the small little pocket that you can't even allow yourself to be blessed. You can't even allow Christ to bring about people in because you're saying, unless you look like the Jesus I want you to look at, like, I don't want you. But that's an opportunity of growth. And that may be an opportunity that God is stretching you to grow. So as you participate in communion, I ask that you would reflect on that. And what areas has God, or have you been able to see God grow you? If, there, if you haven't seen it, and you're struggling to see it, ask him to give you the eyes to see it, and the ears to hear his voice. May you be at a place that it's not a shout, but his whisper can be heard. You know, And allow yourself, if you are in one of these holes, and if you are you know, kind of dug out, pit of life, allow the people around you to, you know, pull you back out or just to be there with you, to provide light for you and to be surrounding with you. You know, don't allow yourself to be so secluded 
that, you know, you couldn't even hear a shout if there was one. So reflect on these things. Allow yourself this week to be broken as Christ was broken and poured out. In the same sense, allow the other people in this community to break themselves for you too and to love on you and to unify you as the body of Christ. When you're ready, please feel free to come up. Mm -hmm.